Biathlon is a unique Olympic event. It challenges participants with opposing athletic endeavors in a singular competition. It combines the heart-pumping aerobic aspects of cross-country skiing matched with the intense focus of precision marksmanship. Two diametrically opposing forces testing every ounce of physical and mental strength of athletes. Welcome back to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. With each episode, Heartbeat brings you insights into this fascinating sport. Two years ago, Heartbeat sat down with biathlete Chloe Levins. At the time, she was on a strong pathway with her career. Despite the pandemic, she continued that pathway and a year ago left the October training camp in Soldier Hollow, ready to charge forward on the road to Beijing. Well, that road changed just a few days later. Chloe Levins is a testament to the athlete's virtues of patience and perseverance. Heartbeat caught up with her following this year's Soldier Hollow Camp to take an emotional look back at what was, at times, a very painful season. Just days after the camp a year ago, she contracted COVID, and despite strong shooting at the IBU Cup in Egyptfiel a few weeks later, she knew something wasn't right. Complications from COVID took her out for the remainder of the season, Returning for the national championships at her training home of Lake Placid in March, she watched the Olympics on TV at home. Now 25, Levins is back again with a successful preseason camp at Soldier Hollow under her belt and a big smile on her face. Despite all of her challenges, her personality exudes happiness with a healthy body now ready to charge ahead. This is a must-listen podcast that gets to the roots of what athletes endure and their resiliency to bounce back. Now let's head to Soldier Hollow to catch up with U.S. Biathlon team athlete Chloe Levins on Heartbeat. It is a beautiful fall day here at the Zermatt Resort, not far from Soldier Hollow. The training camp for U.S. Biathlon is coming to a close, and we're pleased to be joined by Chloe Levins. And Chloe, thank you so much for joining us on Heartbeat. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. Uh, camp went well for you? Yeah, the camp was great. Uh, it's always a good time coming out here to Utah. The altitude is really good training for us. We had impeccable weather and um, some really good racing and yeah, a good a good camp overall. Yeah, really. Although it did rain a fair amount last year, as I recall, but it really has been great to come out here uh, the last few years. Yes, it's actually only my second time coming out here for a training camp. Um, and just coming out here a couple weeks earlier in October has made a world of difference for the weather. Uh, we didn't have to delay any races for frost or snow this year. So that was great. Um, and yeah, it's it's been a really productive camp for everyone, I think. Good. We're going to talk a little bit more uh, later about uh, this camp. Uh, and before we get into uh, talking about uh, your pathway over the last year, can you, for those who may not be familiar with you or didn't catch your Heartbeat podcast a couple of years ago, just give us a little 411 on your background and how you got into the sport of biathlon. Yeah, absolutely. I started biathlon the summer after eighth grade with Algis Shalna. Um, I did an introductory shooting camp that was three days long in Craftsbury, Vermont, and just was hooked immediately. Um, I continued to cross-country ski through the first couple years of high school, but also continued working with Algis Shalna throughout those junior years. Um, I qualified for my first Junior Worlds in 2015 in Minsk, Belarus, as a youth, and um, yeah, continued to go to six consecutive Junior World Championships and then World Championships my first year as a senior in 2020. 
You also made the Youth Olympic Games team in uh, 2016. Tell us about that in Lillehammer. I did. That was an incredible event. Um, one of my favorite biathlon memories so far. And the first time cleaning a four-stage race for me was in Lillehammer in that pursuit. Uh, so really good memories from there. And yeah, I mean, Norway is obviously the pinnacle of winter sports. So it's always special to get to race there. Along the way, you also balanced a, and I'll call it a career in golf. You're still a great golfer. You were a star college golfer, won the Vermont uh, amateur title. How did you, how did you balance the two of those as you were growing up? Yeah, I mean, golf was always a part of our lifestyle. Me and my three older siblings um, grew up playing golf and cross country skiing. And I just want to continue to continue to do multiple sports for as long as possible. And um, Division Three golf at Middlebury was an opportunity for me to do that and continue training for skiing and race um, biathlon in the winter. So yeah, it was, it was a challenge, but I think that the two sports complement each other really well. And I honestly use golf as cross training for biathlon for the mental aspect of things. They have a lot of similarities, uh, just like free throws in basketball and penalty kicks in, in soccer. Hitting a three-footer on the golf course is not dissimilar to hitting that last shot um, in a sprint race, for example, in biathlon. So I, I enjoyed the, the symbiotic relationship between the two sports a lot and thought that it was beneficial for me to continue playing golf through college to, to help my biathlon career going forward. You had the benefit of working with uh, Aglashana early on in your career and uh, a legendary coach. Tell us about the impact that he had on you as a young girl just learning the sport. Yeah, I mean, I've been really fortunate to have an all-star lineup of coaches, to be honest. First, beginning with Alga Shalna for about eight years, the first eight years of my career. He impacted my training and you know, immeasurable ways and, and taught me actually a lot about training theory, which has helped me be able to train with more intention and, and more ownership, I think, as a senior athlete. Um, his knowledge of, of just the physiology of peaking and the mental peak was incredible. August was really special for a lot of ways, and he he was able, we were able to work together really, really well to, to physically peak and mentally peak when it really mattered. And as a junior, I only focused on those junior world races. I didn't have the time to miss so much school to be able to race in the IBU Cup very often. So often, a lot of the years, I had, you know, one opportunity at Junior Worlds to make those races count. Um, and August was really supportive and in the physical and mental aspects of that. Chloe, you mentioned a little bit about the mental aspects, what Algus was able to, to, to teach you there. I think when people think about biathlon, they often ask, well, are you focusing on your, on your skiing or are you focusing on your shooting? But the third element is really mental, and that crosses over both of them. Yes, exactly. And Algus is the first person to say that when you're skiing, you're only thinking about skiing. When you're shooting, you're only thinking about shooting. Yes, you have to put the two together, but it's it's best not to ever ask what if and to never get ahead of yourself. Um, and he really taught me just to cherish those shots, ski within myself, meet myself where I am. And I, I've taken those lessons into my senior career as well. Let's talk about the journey that you've been on over the last 12 months, and it had a lot of highs and a lot of lows. But if you go back to the camp a year ago, uh, kind of frame the, it was your first time out here to the Soldier Hollow camp, going into the Olympic season, kind of frame out how that camp went for you and how you left Soldier Hollow mentally looking ahead to the season. 
Yeah, the training camp overall last year went very well. Um, the races, however, I severely underperformed. Um, I did not hit nearly as many targets as I do during training. I skied okay, um, especially for the beginning of the fall and wanting to ski myself into the season. It was a good place to start. However, I was also battling a foot injury um, from a running workout that we did during that training camp and during the races. So, uh, yeah, I flew home to Lake Placid actually pretty discouraged, but having made the IBU Cup team and still optimistic about, you know, getting myself onto the World Cup later in the season and having some good IBU Cup results um, along the way. But I did have to get an MRI as soon as I got home um, from the training trip and, and was battling a, a minor foot injury during, during my return home and all of that, but was still optimistic about the season at that point in time and, and really, you know, happy with the, with the training camp overall, not the races, however. And then a short time after that, you tested positive for COVID. How long was that after the camp? It was only three days after I had gotten home from the camp. It was November 1st. Um, I was at home with my family uh, and my little niece making a Halloween costume, I started having the most excruciating headache and no other symptoms at the time, but decided to get tested and tested positive um, and immediately went into quarantine in the Olympic Paralympic Training Center in Lake Placid. Did they have a protocol for that at the training center? Yes, they did. And I, I didn't want to expose my family any more than I had. So I chose to, to leave my family home in Vermont and just go directly into a seven-day isolation period in one of the dorm rooms in Lake Placid. And that was the first time you'd had COVID? Correct. The first and only time, yeah. But it was also something at the time that people were getting COVID. There was a protocol for it. So I'm imagining you probably are a little bit discouraged, but you're not thinking anywhere's beyond, I have COVID, I need to quarantine. Correct. That's correct. I didn't have any fear of, you know, long-term symptoms. Um, my symptoms at that given time were not so bad. It felt like, you know, I just had a really bad headache. I never, never had a fever. I remember vividly a phone conversation I had with Tim Burke my first night in quarantine and him, you know, reassuring me that, you're a healthy girl and this will be okay. You'll get through this. You'll get to race this season and, you know, just get through these seven days and I'm, I'm here for you, you know, and same with the team doctor. They were really supportive while I was in quarantine and, and helping me with, you know, the mental aspect of just being in a small room for seven days with not much to do. Um, and the inability also of getting exercise equipment for fear of, you know, having some sort of damage, um, without getting the proper, being able to get the proper testing. So yeah, it was, it was a tough period, but for sure I, I didn't have any foresight into what would happen next. Did you, once you tested negative, did you go back to training just as a routine at that point? I did not. So I tested negative and flew immediately to Norway for a pre-camp with the rest of my fellow IBU Cup athletes. And so this was, at this point now, we're starting to get out to what, middle of November, third week in November? Exactly. Yep. Second week in November. And you did the camp? I did the camp, but I was noticing um, some atypical heart rate data um, and just a general feeling of breathlessness, some minor chest pains, that kind of stuff, which I didn't experience in my quarantine in Lake Placid. It was only brought upon um, when I exercised. 
And you, you track your heart rate just as an athlete. You follow that, right? So you know your heart rate. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So I know my resting heart rate and I know, you know, what my heart rate should be when I feel like I'm skiing conversational pace um, up to my race pace and what I usually max out at during a race. And so what was happening those that first week in Norway was a disconnect between my perceived exertion and my heart rate such that my perceived exertion would be very low. It would be like conversational level one pace, but my heart rate would be more like threshold, you know, just below race pace. And so there was like a severe physiological disconnect um, between how hard my heart was working and how hard I felt like my body was working. What did, you, what did your coaches or your medical staff, uh, did they have any sense of what might be going on? At first, um, they thought that, you know, I had just traveled across an ocean. I just traveled to Scandinavia from the U.S., so travel could be hard. I could be fending off an illness. Of course, having just had, like, a new illness besides COVID, but, of course, having just had COVID as well, it, there could be some just lingering fatigue there um, presenting itself as, you know, an elevated heart rate. Um, at that point in time, that first week, nothing Nothing was um, diagnosed, per se. Did you actually race in the IBU Cup? I raced one IBU Cup race um, with a cold, <laughs> actually. I, I got a cold. Separate problem. Separate problem um, in Idrafjall um, in Sweden. And I raced the sprint race. I actually cleaned that race and qualified for the pursuit. Um, <laughs> but it was not my best physical effort. And yeah, I, I knew something something was off with my body. Yeah. What did you do at that point? At that point in time, um, I deliberated with Tim Burke and um, the team doctor, Brett Torsdahl. And we came to a, a consensus after my cold hadn't resolved itself after about a week on the road. Um, to just travel home and get a good training block in before the next trials period for the, the next trimester of IBU Cup races. Did you have any medical attention when you got back? I did. Um, when I got back, I got an EKG, um, which showed everything was normal. And I just finally recovered from that, that cold, which um, eventually turned into what I think was a sinus infection. And then, um, yeah, just continued to train as normal, quote unquote, um, but still experienced that severe disconnect between my heart rate and exertion and continue to monitor that for the next four weeks or so um, until Tim Burke, myself, and the team doctor came to the consensus that there needed to be more testing done. And ultimately out of that testing, and, and, and I'll let you tell me what, what it was, but you did get a diagnosis of a fairly rare situation that you had going on as a complication of COVID. Exactly. Yeah. So I ended up being diagnosed with POTS-like symptoms. So POTS is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Um, and it's common actually in women ages 15 to 50, but it's usually brought upon after a viral infection, um, pregnancy, severe trauma, that kind of stuff. Um, and more and more data was coming out that people who had experienced COVID or even gotten 
a specific booster were experiencing the same kind of POTS-like symptoms as me. So there was some, there there was some background on this. I mean, you found somebody that did say, "Aha, uh-huh, yeah, I, I think I know what this is." Yes, exactly. That's true. Um, and they didn't, but they didn't want me to think that I was ill. They wanted me to just see the symptoms for as they were, and it's temporary. And gave me a lot of, you know, advice, and gave me a lot of advice for how to deal with it and how to make it better over time. So those types of things were were like eating a lot of salt to increase my blood volume and staying on my feet more to get used to being upright. Um, Because what was happening was as soon as I went from lying down to standing up, my heart rate would skyrocket. So it would be like 120 beats per minute upon standing where usually it might be 60 to 70. So I had to get used to standing. You wear compression socks that kind of stuff. <laughs> what, but you, you're an elite athlete, so you train and compete at a very high level. You push your body physiologically to the maximum. This, while I think for some of us, it's something we could just move through, for you, it really had to impact your training. Exactly. I mean, I was lightheaded every time I got out of bed. So that makes training pretty difficult. Um, I was really struggling to ski faster than what I felt was a conversational pace. Um, It felt like my conversational pace was also my race pace, if that makes sense. Did you keep skiing during that time? I kept skiing at a very, very low intensity Um, for a while. I think I stopped skiing for about two weeks for fear of doing any permanent damage uh, until I got testing in Baltimore, actually, with a USOPC cardiologist, Ankit Shaw. We did a full echocardiogram, stress test, another EKG, uh, an MRI, and he assured me that I would not be doing permanent damage if I continued to train as normal and started working in some intensity. Um, So that was at the end of February after the Olympic Games. So just to go back a little bit in time, so this diagnosis initially came to you around Christmas, I think, uh, in uh, of last year. Uh, At what point did you make a decision that this was going to impact your plan for the season and with it, your Olympic dreams? Yeah, I mean, it was a really rough time. I think January into those first couple weeks in February before my teammates were gearing up for the Olympics was one of the hardest periods of my life. I was told that I was unfit to race um, and I had to basically forfeit the season. And um, as a 24-year-old with just basically one and a half years of full-time training under my belt, I felt like I was looking the end of the of my career in the face. And it was really just ended up being a lesson in patience that I had to swallow. And I forced myself to get through it by, you know, listening to stoic podcasts and and reading about martial arts, mental tactics, and, you know, basically making it a daily practice for myself to, to see this obstacle as not something that's standing in the way, but something that will become the way over time. And to just truly believe that although something so terrible and unfortunate is being thrown on my fire, it will become fuel for that fire and struggles are experiences down the road. And I just, I made it basically my training to, to beat those, those stoic philosophies into my head on a daily basis. 
that really helped me get through January and the beginning of February as I watched my teammates qualify for the Olympics and and really just not even have a have a shot to be there. You know, um, I had no opportunity to even show up to the qualifier, let alone qualify, you know. So it was it was a tough lesson in patience and a really tough lesson also in just gratitude for for health in general, because in in professional sports, your health is everything. And I think everyone has a winding road. And this is just like a big metaphor for, yeah, having a winding road. And even when things are going well, you better hold on because you don't know what's coming around the corner. And I'll be more prepared for whatever's coming around the next corner, having experienced this. When we talked two years ago on Heartbeat, you talked a lot about resiliency and the ability to come back. And and I think you really exhibited that during this past past year. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one thing to preach it, another thing to practice it. And I'll be the first to say that I was in a pretty dark place and I just had to put up my hair and pull up my pants and and yeah, practice practice what I kind of preach. But yeah, resiliency and, and patience and gratitude were really big lessons that came out of this experience. And I had to tell myself that it's unfortunate what happened and I could make myself a victim. But if you spin it, it could actually be fortunate that this happened to me because I have, you know, the strength and the mental fortitude to go through it, to get through it, and to be better for it than the man or woman who couldn't have experienced it or have dealt with it. So I'm I'm fortunate for the opportunity to have practiced like the excellence of mind that that required me to get to get through it and to show up at US Nationals in March and get on a podium. What was that like? I mean, everybody's coming off a different, you're coming off a completely different season than what everyone else did. But you went there to U.S. Nationals. You didn't have to go, but you went there and you performed. Yeah, that <laughs> that was a really fun race for me. It was in Lake Placid, which has been my home for the last couple years. And I just couldn't pass up an opportunity to race in my backyard. I had gotten cleared to race and train um, just three weeks before the U.S. Nationals in Lake Placid. So I had three weeks of training under my belt and virtually no intensity training. And I decided I was going to jump in these races and with no expectations and, you know, no pressure on myself and really just going back to what Alga Shalna taught me to meet myself where I was and, and do biathlon because um, that's what I love to do. So I had a great time and it was really fun racing at home actually in the winter for the very first time. And yeah, I managed to hit 19 out of 20 targets in the mass start and yeah, get on a podium, which was just it was a silver lining for me, really, you know, in a season that was full of great hardship. You shot the same way you did in uh, in Sweden before uh, your your first part of your season ended. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Luckily, my shooting didn't take as much of a hit as my physical as my uh, physical shape did, but yeah, no, it was it was a fun experience to get to race at home in Lake Placid for sure. Were you able to stay in touch with your teammates during the year? I stayed in touch with a couple of teammates. Um, yeah, and it was pretty painful at times for me to to talk with them. But a few of them checked in on me throughout the season, which I was really grateful for. And I was supporting them and watching every Olympic race as well and, and cheering them on from home. It was 
a tough time and they, my teammates were a good support system for me as were my parents and obviously the team doctors and the whole sports med staff in Lake Placid as well. But yeah, I, I chose to busy my time with teaching kids cross-country skiing. I was working at the bookstore. I started taking a class, anatomy physiology class and yeah, I was kind of just more trying to distract myself from the racing that was happening in Europe that I couldn't be a part of. And and yeah, just just try to take it day by day and step by step at home. So after U.S. Nationals, you could have made a decision to say, hey, I came back, but I think it's time to, to stop. But you didn't. You made a decision to keep going. What went into that decision making? I think that that decision honestly didn't take much thought for me um, because biathlon truly is a passion um, and I I feel very young in the sport although I have been doing it for 10 years I've only been doing it full-time for two since graduating college I have a lot left to do um, and having like just been cleared by the doctors by the end of the season gave me a lot more motivation and yet again, a lot more fuel for my fire going into the next training year. Um, also knowing that, you know, my coaches were still supporting me and believed in me and having a good result at U.S. Nationals was really encouraging as well. I think there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to continue, um, especially having just forced myself to to accept the fact that obstacles are a part of professional sport and those who can endure them are usually better for them in the long run. So let's fast forward now to the camp that you're just concluding. You've spent a couple of weeks out here in Utah at, at a high altitude. Uh, how do you assess your couple of weeks training here? We've had an amazing couple of weeks here. I um, am really proud of like all my teammates and really grateful to all the coaches uh, for really high quality training. And obviously Soldier Hollow too. The venue is incredible. Um, we've obviously had really good weather as we mentioned before, but yeah, my three weeks personally have been very good. It was a really productive training camp for me. I got through the whole the entire block without any issues. None of us got sick, which is also record breaking for this type of time of year. Um, knock on wood. But yeah, no, it's it was really encouraging camp for me. Really good races um, and a good way to to kind of send it send it off and yeah, gear up for going to Europe within a month here. What does your season look like? Yeah, so as of right now, I'm going to Volkati, Finland um, for the World Cup pre-camp. The women's team is really fortunate to have five start spots this year on the World Cup. So when in Volkati, we will qualify um, the fourth the fourth woman for that start spot and um, send the fifth down to the race, the first IBU Cup against the other IBU Cup athletes and then um, bring one athlete up from that IBU Cup to the World Cup. So as of right now, I, I qualified second by points after Joanne. So um, it was I'm in a good position to hopefully get some World Cup starts this season. Good. Well, we look forward to seeing you back there. Uh, as as you as you think back over the, over this past year, uh, I know you had highs and lows. But uh, if you think about those low times during this past winter, did you think that you would be here at Soldier Hollow and be leaving this camp with an optimistic state of mind? <laughs> I'd like to say that I thought it was possible, but I don't know. It's it's much easier to believe now that it's done. I'll just say that. I think that um, I didn't 
I didn't believe that I would come back so quickly. I thought that it would take more time um, and that my body wouldn't be as receptive to the training. Uh, so I'm really, really grateful that things are back on track and um, my body's back in balance again and I can start, start this year fresh. Well, you you have a smile at this camp, and <laughs> yeah. you know that just said to me that this has been a been a good couple of weeks here. Yes, absolutely. It's it's been incredible, and I I'm just so fortunate to get to race and do what I love. Did you golf a lot this summer? <laughs> yes, I did. I was able to play a couple times a week, which is more than the last couple of years. So happy about that. Got some good cross training in on the golf course. Well, we'll go on to our on target section. A few final questions to wrap it up. So looking back over the course of the summer, what was your best round? Ooh, I think I shot two over 72 at the Lynx course in Lake Placid. Good. Good course? Yeah, good course. Um, really good setup. I really like the Lynx out there. The greens were running really well in the beginning of August, um, and I had a lot of fun playing that course on our off days with Voshek, one of my teammates as awesome. well. Awesome. Yeah. Favorite golfer of all time? Of all time? Oh, goodness. Uh, Annika Sorenstam. Awesome. Have you had a chance to meet her? I did, actually, at the Solheim Cup in Des Moines, Illinois in 2019. Boy, that is a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. You're going back out this year, uh, a healthy Chloe Levins. Uh, what's, the, what's the venue or the event that you're most looking forward to? And let's assume for a minute you're going to be on the World Cup. But what's the venue you're most looking forward to going back to? Okay, well, if I am on the World Cup all year, there's a lot of venues I've never been to. So I'm really excited to see some new venues. But the one I'm most looking forward to going back to would have to be Antolz. And actually in Ostersund too, in Sweden, that was where I had my World Cup debut. So that would be a lot of fun. Um, I think for in terms of events, I'm targeting uh, individual races. I really like the longer races with the bigger time penalty for shooting. So yeah, I'm looking, looking forward to those venues and, and that kind of racing. Yeah, well, it'll, it'll, it'll be really good to have you back there. If you think back now over the course of the entire past year, is there one word that comes to mind that really symbolizes what you've gone through and what you've made it out of to get back to the point that you're at right now? Is there one word that, that sticks in your mind? Maybe it's one we used earlier. I think the one word that is coming to mind is just stoicism. I think... In this sport, it's advantageous to underreact to everything and to not let emotions get in your way and to see those obstacles as just an opportunity to, to practice that excellence of mind and have them let them become your story and let them make you stronger. And all of us will experience obstacles. We don't know when, we don't know what, we don't know how. And it's, it's having the perspective and the patience um, to be able to deal with them when they come and continue to, to keep your, your passion, your passion, if it's really what you love to do. Obstacles are a part of sport. Chloe Levins, you've been a great role model. Thank you for sharing your story on Heartbeat. Thanks so much for having me. You just can't help but root for Chloe Levins. She brings such a positive attitude to the front, even in difficult circumstances like she faced last year. It was great to catch up with her. If you missed earlier episodes of Heartbeat this year, check out the interview with Deidre Irwin in Episode 3 or scroll back to Episode 2 with Max Cobb. Remember to subscribe to Heartbeat to get every episode delivered direct to you and leave a review if you can. I'm your host, Tom Kelly, and thanks for listening to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon Podcast. Heartbeat.